Today, in light of the Christmas season that is upon us, I I decided to preach a Christmas message of sorts. I say of sorts because it is not a typical Christian, or sorry, (laughs) it's not a typical Christmas message. I hope it's a Christian message, my goodness. And in case you are wondering, I still intend to do, as I've done in the past, a special Christmas message on the Sunday before Christmas, which is now only two weeks away, beloved. I know, it's coming so fast. So I want to begin this Christmas message of sorts by mentioning culture. Our culture, or our society's traditions, customs, habits, values, etc., can to one degree or another impact the way we think about various matters. I hope you know that. So when it comes to the celebration of Christmas in our culture, we find special importance being given to family, to children, to showing kindness, to gift-giving, And of course, to the jolly, kid-loving, and very well-fed guy in red, good old Santa Claus. And Christians generally do their best at this time of year, in the midst of all the customs and traditions of this holiday, to make Christ and his birth their highest focus for the season. Is that true? Hopefully. But I wonder. I wonder if the influences of the way our culture celebrates Christmas have caused any of us to think about Christ and his coming to earth in a way that is not really biblical. And also, as I will explain toward the end, unhelpful in being a follower of Christ. Specifically, I am thinking about the matter of peace. Peace. The word peace is a word that comes up or shows up a lot at this time of the year especially. It is certainly used in many Christmas or holiday cards. Here's a sampling from the front of some Christmas cards. I'll just read them. Peace, happiness, and joy. Here's another. Wishing you a world of peace. This one's really long. They they attempt to include every positive word they can. But it begins with peace. Peace, serenity, joy, health, happiness, friendship, warmth, warmth, hope, prosperity, goodwill, harmony. Another, peace and joy from all of us. And, and sometimes that's from like your business, right? Your, the, where you, the place you work, right? Peace and joy from all of us. What does that mean? Peace to you and yours this holiday season. Another, a very merry Christmas filled with joy, peace, and prosperity. 
How about this one? Wishing you a season of joy and peace. Really? Just a season? Please forgive me if any of you have sent out uh, Christmas cards already. (laughs) That is not my intent to make it awkward for you in any way. This one. Peace on earth will come to stay when we live Christmas every day. (laughs) Don't laugh. That might be someone's... You might receive a Christmas card from a brother or sister... The word peace, as I just mentioned, is often on Christmas cards followed up uh, with the words on earth and regularly positioned to some peaceful picture or pleasant nature scene or a picture of people at peace in some way with one another. Uh, for instance, holding, people holding hands. Or there may be, and there often is also, some type, although it's, finding harder to, it's harder to find these kind of cards, uh, some type of illustration of the birth of Christ with peace on earth. A an, an nativity scene. Uh, Bethlehem, the city. And sometimes you'll also find the phrase, uh, goodwill to all, following peace on earth. Peace on earth, goodwill to all. So anyway, it's out there. I just wanted to show you a few pics that I found of Christmas cards just to demonstrate. I'm not making it up, but here's, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they show up. So, okay, again, you know, that's the idea. Peace on earth, but what's communicated? It's a, it's a peaceful scene. In fact, a good friend of mine who moved to Sandpoint recently and had some snow. Oh, no, don't, don't change it yet. Don't change it yet. Please, thank you, brother. I uh, had some snow. He was telling me... And I said, what's your experience with that? And he said, you know, it's different than rain. Rain is loud. Rain makes noise. He says, the snow falls, but it's silent. And what did he say to me? It's so peaceful, right? So it's that kind of idea. There's a nice little house in the middle of the snow. It's, you know, peace. It's a Christmas card. What's the next one? Of course, here. We got all the kids around the uh, earth. That's uh, also an ornament that you can hang on your tree. That's awesome. Peace on earth, right? Again, this is, I'm just sampling from, there's a ton of this stuff out there at this time of year. It's not just Christmas cards. It shows up everywhere, but certainly it shows up on holiday cards. How about the next one? All right, finally, hey. But again, peace on earth, so here's the connection. It's pretty recognizable, right? That's Jesus in the manger. It's the manger scene, kind of universally recognizable. There's the star. Okay, but um, there's a connection here. Peace on earth, Jesus, peace on earth. Christmas, Jesus, peace on earth. Okay. Next one. This one, you know, you got to give it to them. This is rather confusing because now we have, we have all the elements here of Christmas, right? We got peace on earth, goodwill to all. And of course, we got the well-fed man flying through the air with his magical reindeer. And of course, it's a peaceful scene, right? It's a peaceful scene. And this one I just included because the next one, because really this, <laughs> this is more my idea of, that's it, that's all I'll say. You could take it down, brother. Uh, so anyway, one would certainly conclude from those examples I gave you, the ones we saw, that 
In our celebration of Christmas, culturally speaking, peace seems to be especially important. Would you agree with that? And in observing the more religious Christmas cards, one might even conclude that Jesus came into this world for the purpose of peace on earth. And of course, you know, that is all very nice and pleasant and can make one warm on the inside. But is that right? And did Jesus come in order to bring peace to the earth? And if he did, and then I have to ask a follow-up question, well, as followers of Jesus, should that be our goal and mission as well? Which is what some would say indeed is the mission of the church. To bring peace to earth. Well, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, the first book of the New Testament. I don't have a page number for those blue Bibles, but if you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those blue Bibles, pick it up. Open to Matthew chapter 10. We'll be looking at uh, two verses here. So let me say this. That sweet little baby boy in the manger eventually grew up. And he made a number of statements that will probably never, now let me say, certainly will never be put on a Hallmark card for Christmas. (laughs) And yet that's the one we celebrate. Maybe. We're going to look at one of those statements now. Speaking to his disciples, Christ, speaking to his disciples, the twelve, Jesus said, beginning in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. But he doesn't stop talking. I have not come, in case you missed it, to bring peace, but a sword. For, this is an explanation, let me explain. I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. In Luke 12, there is a parallel passage, and it helps us to understand what Jesus means by his use of the word sword in Matthew 10. So we'll look at that real quick. Luke 12, verse 51 through 53. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. 
They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The sword that Jesus refers to in Matthew is a figurative way. I think I, I probably don't even have to explain it to you, but... It's a figurative way of referring to that, which is the very opposite of peace. The word sword in Matthew alludes to, what's the opposite of peace? War, conflict, division. The sword divides, the sword cuts, the sword... You know, you know it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a knife, Right? It's a sword. It's, it's that wartime language. Conflict. Opposition. Jesus is, by using the word, alluding to the serious division that would occur among people on the earth as a result of him coming to the earth as a result, if you will, of Christmas. And according to Jesus, even families, which on one level, I mean, is there a more important, you know, generally speaking, that's, those are the closest relationships we have is with our family. But even families would not escape this division they too would be divided. Or as Jesus put it, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. It's one thing for me to have enemies at work or even enemies next door, your neighbor. That's difficult, but you can avoid them. You just... I'm going to tell you how. When you pull into the garage, don't get out of the car until the garage, you shut the garage door. It's really cool. You just shut it from within. They never see you. You never have to talk to them. But what if, what if the enemies reside in your own house? Seriously, Jesus? One, uh, one friend of mine, pastor, he had covered this uh, verse before. And he pointed out that in that culture, loyalty of a son to his father was the highest of human loyalties, followed by those of a daughter to her mother, and believe it or not, followed by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. I said their culture. (laughs) I don't know about ours, but anyway. He goes on to say, to upset these ancient loyalty structures was to tear apart the family at the foundational level. So wait, what? I'm confused. Not only does Jesus appear to be saying something very different than what I normally hear this time of year, but in addition to that, I can't count how many times I've heard someone say, even Christian people say, 
that nothing in this life is more important than family. But apparently, Jesus doesn't agree with that sentiment. One might say that Jesus' words here don't seem very nice or pleasant or give those warm feelings inside that one normally expects to get from Christmas. And maybe someone is thinking, okay, all right. But doesn't the Bible speak of peace on earth in connection with the first coming of Christ? I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look at that. Turn, if you will, to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Another of the Gospels, a third, third Gospel in line there. Looking at chapter 2. Now, you're going to turn there, but uh, I, don't, I probably shouldn't have asked you to do that, but it's okay, because I'm going to read from the New King James Version. You may have that. We use the English Standard Version here, the ESV. You may have another, another translation. But I'm going to read from the New King James Version, uh, because the King James and the New King James Version were really the Bible uh, for English-speaking people for a, a long period of time. Okay, so you'll see why I'm reading from that. I'll just begin in verse 8. We're reading the story. Let's see what's up here. Now, or as uh, Terry said, the events of Christmas. I like that, Terry. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, you see it? You can leave it up for a second, brother. Can you pop that back up there? All right. You see it? In fact, I think we, found, we saw that on one of the Christmas cards. Okay, the King James Version is exactly the same, at least in this section. Exactly the same. And here it is, and yet, we just read, I just read it for you, Jesus saying, listen guys, don't be confused. I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. In fact, in contrast to that, I came to bring a sword, conflict, division. Even families will suffer these painful things because of me. So how do we reconcile all this? And now Thomas will come up and give the answer. <laughs> all right, well, first, and I'm not going to go heavy, heavy into this. I'm just going to give you answers without all the explanation behind it. But let me say this first. 
The KJV and the New King James Version translation of verse 14 is not a good translation. It's not a good translation of the passage. That is not my opinion, but rather the position of a good number of Bible scholars who have a better and more thorough understanding of the original language that, that the words were written in, and the manuscripts that we have, copies, uh, that, we, that we have uh, available to us that contain this passage. It's not a good translation. The translation preferred by many scholars is found in the NIV 84, and I'll provide you that one. And I, uh, based on my studies, I think it's the best translation of getting at exactly what was communicated there in that moment, what was really communicated. And it helps us then make sense of other things that Jesus says. Otherwise, we'd be like, what? I'm confused. Luke 2, 13 and 14, the NIV 84 translates this way. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Different, huh? The ESV uh, is close, but uh, I still think the NIV is, is, in this case, 84 better. The, uh, the ESV reads this way, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And again, you could be confused, like, you mean like he's pleased because they've been good? No. The idea is, you could say it this way, among those who are the objects of his pleasure or of his goodwill or and his saving kindness. That was the announcement. One writer says this, the angels are saying that God will bring peace for men on whom his favor rests. Peace, of course, means peace between God and people. And then he defines further the healing of the estrangement caused by human evil. And who brought that healing? Who accomplished that healing for people? Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. That's the announcement. The coming of Jesus to earth, or Christmas, beloved, does include peace. But it is a peace that happens between sinful inhabitants of the earth and God. It is a vertical peace. It is a peace that happens for all those that God, according to his sovereign grace, opens the eyes and the ears of to the truth of Jesus Christ and grants them the repentance and faith they so desperately need to fully embrace, surrender to, trust in, and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. It is on them that this peace is given. 
and received. I mean, who in the end cares if we're all getting along and yet we are still enemies of God? It is the peace that Paul refers to in Romans 5.1 where he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of Christians, bonafide Christians, those who have repented and put their faith and hope and trust in the Savior and are following him in their lives. On another note, beloved, as I was just processing, again, I looked, you know, I love all the bells and whistles of Christmas, you know, but they're, a lot of them just cultural things, you know, and they're not necessarily evil, but I just, I just, just watch people go through this season and miss it. And still have warm feelings inside, and they should be terrified because they haven't bowed their knee to Him. They're not trusting in Him. They are still enemies with God. But on, on another note, I, I was just thinking, you know, about Christmas. And yeah, Christmas, they didn't start celebrating Christmas to many, 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 or officially, till sometime way after uh, the events of Christmas. But I was just thinking, you know, if, if, if they could watch a movie, first century Christians could watch a movie of Christmas in our culture, I wonder what they would, I wonder what they would think. <sighs> and, and, I, and I think that especially in light of, here's an example, okay? An example. And you can check this out later. But the story that follows the events of Christmas in Matthew, if you're reading, just reading through, that incredible birth story, do you know what story follows? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quizzing you. I'm going to tell you the answer. But I want you to check it out. Let me read quickly just a few excerpts, and then one will pop up on the screen, okay? It begins in chapter 2. So we have this incredible event. Ah, he's here, right? Which, you know, except for a few people, no one even paid attention or noticed. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I'm just gonna read, just listen, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, so they weren't there, you know, at the birth he's already born. Okay. For we saw a star when it rose and had come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. If he would have known his scriptures, he could have answered the question himself. For so it is written by the prophet and recorded in God's holy word. But Herod wasn't a great... <laughs> Herod wasn't a God lover, Christian, or a lover of God. So he didn't know the scriptures. Then we read, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. A little bit later. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the wise men, they departed to their own country by another way. So they were gonna go back and then divine intervention, divine control, and said, no, don't go back. Don't go back to Herod. Then in 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to celebrate him. This peace on earth. Woo! That's, you know, I mean, what king doesn't want peace on earth? To destroy him is what the text says. And then this passage, Matthew 2, 16 Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. In all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Do you, okay, so we, it's just a very, it's very short. And Bethlehem wasn't a big town, but you know, so it wasn't a huge population. But just think. Think that through a little bit. Men from Jerusalem, which was about five miles out, under the orders of Herod, marched towards Bethlehem, went into homes, and killed every male child, every infant under the age of two, in connection with the birth of Christ. And maybe, and maybe you can appreciate why anger rises up in me in a way that I can't, I, there's nothing else that, that gives rise to it like this, but when I hear someone like a Joel Osteen, who, who is the, he has the largest, and I'm putting it in parentheses because it's not, Christian church in America, and talks to you about Christianity is about living your best life now. Please, Joel, I want to tra- I want to put you in a time machine, and I want to transport you back to that little town in Bethlehem. And please, try your garbage on those families about what it is to be connected to Christ, or even anything connected to Christ, about it being your best life. Now, as they watch the soldiers come in and slaughter their children. You see? I mean, that fits, really. That story happened, that those events happened, but it makes sense because at the very beginning, war broke out on earth. War. And all throughout the scriptures, you see the language of war, conflict between evil and between almighty God, almighty Christ and his followers. That's where we find ourselves now. Back to our text in Matthew 10. 
Let me read it again. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Question. How does this happen? How does the coming of Christ, or if you will, Christmas, result in this sad, painful, and heartbreaking situation? Because that's what it is. That a person's enemies would be those of his own household. How is it that Christ can bring about such excruciating disruption in one's family? Which would normally be the most loyal of relationships. I mean, it's not how other disruptions are caused through gossip or hurt feelings, you know, that are within the family. It's, it's not like Everyone's sitting around at the dinner table and, and Jesus drops in and he drops the Trump bomb. And then there's total chaos in the house. Because right? I've heard all the talks about, listen, when you get together for Thanksgiving, just don't talk politics and definitely don't talk about Trump. Uh, it's not that. This is a division that runs deeper. Well, I I think you know the answer. But how does this happen? How is it? How is it that a son and a father would be divided like this? Or a mother and her daughter? Well, it's because there are people in the household that are loyal to Jesus Christ. or faithfully following him, right? And they're doing so in a household where not everyone is a follower of Jesus Christ. And if they're not a follower, there is no middle ground. Then they are an enemy. Then they are still lost. They're still caught up in their darkness and controlled by their sin and enslaved to the rebellion. The rebellion against God, or the rebellion against Christ. And uh, you, as a follower of Christ, are going to experience, as you follow him, as you live for him, as you make decisions as to, to do certain things, as you make decisions not to do certain things, that others in your family would want you to do or not want you to do, uh, that's where the conflict arises, for sure there. It even arises when you attempt to, in one way or another, share the gospel. Because until God breaks the heart, the heart is hard and doesn't like being told these things. And and here's what I would say. Um, Thinking through my life and my experience in history, I would imagine that... um, 
This is less of a problem. I don't have to imagine. I know it to be true. It is less of a problem in a Christian culture. Okay, so let me help you understand that. We, We have grown up, if you grow up in America, you have grown up in a a culture that has been heavenly, heavily influenced by Christianity. And so what that means is it doesn't mean everyone's Christian. It means that there is an acceptance that Christianity is uh, the thing, you know? It's good or it's okay or it, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. It doesn't mean I myself will be a Christian, but I might also, in a Christian culture, you have people identifying as Christian, but they really aren't. It's just the thing you do. It's just... It's like you ask someone who, are you, you know, what's your faith? And they go, I'm Catholic. And you go, oh. And they just tell you, you know, you ever go to mass or anything like that? No, 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 I just, you know, I'm Catholic. Because they're just born into that culture, the Catholic culture. So they think that's what they are. Well, in a Christian culture, there are many people just kind of walking around. They identify, but they're not. And what that does is it means there's going to be less tension in a home uh, where there are actually bona fide believers. There'll be less tension. In fact, in a a culture that's been influenced by Christianity, there's also a level of shame that comes with not acting Christian. So if you you don't act Christian at least, then you're, you know? And so that controls the whole thing. But guess what, guess what? When the culture moves farther and farther away from any influences it had of Christianity, then this reality will show up more and more in our homes. If it, and, and certainly for some of us, it has already. But it'll become more of a reality for us. And of course, you know, we know what Jesus says, right? If you follow him, you think the world who's still living in rebellion against him is going to be happy with you? In fact, it says in John 15, if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world to be my own right and to follow me therefore the world hates you now again the hate shows up and it can show up differently there can you know like for instance you can have a cold war in your house you know, Cold War. Are you familiar with that term? Like we've had with Russia. And we used to talk about that a lot. We have a Cold War with Russia, meaning that there's still, the tensions are still there, but we're not like actively killing one another or attacking one another, at least not openly. <laughs> okay? So there can be a cold, it can show up differently. So don't think, well, you know, no one's trying to stab me. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. There'll be a tension, a hostility, if you will. It'll show up in various ways. It, it could just be a cold war, but it's not, there's not peace. There can't be. There can't be. If there is not peace with God, then how would you ever expect there to be peace between man? The vertical has to be dealt with first. And in fact, identifying with Christ and, and believing him and trusting him brings on you a greater level of conflict, even in your own family. One writer commenting on this whole subject matter says, Jesus 
says that even at the most intimate levels of relationships, and by the way, I said faithful, right? I said, uh, uh, how does this happen? It's by faithfully following him. There could certainly be a temptation for you because you are somehow convinced that you, what matters most is making sure everyone likes each other in the family and that we have peace. I mean, isn't, isn't that what Christmas is about? If we don't have peace all year long, at least at this time of the year, can we for once have peace? No. But you can try to make it happen, I guess. But in order to do that, if you're a faithful follower of Christ and the reason you don't have peace is because of that reason, then you'll have to compromise. You'll have to compromise. But I think we're getting to a place where that's gonna become even more and more difficult for you to do. If you're really his. Writer says, Jesus says that even at the most intimate levels of relationships among family members, he brings division. This writer goes on to point out, when we clash with unbelievers within our family, or anywhere for that matter, we want to make sure it's not because we have done something foolish or said something unkind. A statement like, only an idiot would think that way, isn't the way to win over a lost aunt. Right? So just be careful. It's a division that occurs because you're faithfully following Christ that Christ is talking about, not because you're a jerk or mean or ornery or arrogant. person says this, however, if you skip your nephew's birthday that is happening on a Sunday evening and instead attend your church meeting, watch out. Division is coming, just like Jesus said it would. That's one example. I can imagine a, a slew of others. And what happens when your LGBTQ daughter or son wants you to come to their wedding? What are you going to do? A writer goes on to say, well, what if you've not seen allegiance to Christ cause division? Right? And as I said, you know, like, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, Jeremy. Everything's cool. We're good. Well, okay, do you, does your whole family Christian? You bonafide Christian? Then, yeah, great. Praise God. Oh, yes, yes. But my goodness, I don't know many families like that. I just don't. I certainly don't have that experience. So it's possible just you have a cold war going on and everyone just pretends it's not happening. <laughs> You know, or uh, or it's also possible that you you have compromised. I don't know. I'm not saying. I'm just something for you to consider. Uh, this writer says maybe you're not bold enough. He goes on to say, when a person becomes a new believer, he gets a new agenda in life, new desires, new taste in jokes and entertainment. Huh? You know what I'm saying? That your unbelieving family members would not have. And that creates tensions and conflicts, at least if you stick to your convictions 
and you're being conformed by Christ. He says these differences can put major stress on relationships with unbelievers. And of course, the temptation for the Christian is to just go along with the world for the sake of peace and ease. And again, isn't that what Christmas is all about? I mean, I'm a Christian, Jesus, peace on earth, here we go. Living it out. No. No, actually. So we, of course, should strive to biblically love those who are lost in our family, right? This doesn't mean Christ called us to love our enemies. If they show up within our own household, well, that's a good place to practice the command. Love them, but biblically love them which means stay the course and speak the truth in love. Doesn't mean compromise, that's not love at all. It doesn't mean affirm them in their sin, that's not love at all. It doesn't mean participate in their sin, that's tragic for you and them. But of course, all those things I said just now will no doubt bring tension and conflict and even division in relationships that you want more than anything, right, to be good. So a few takeaways, and I'll close. First, we should regularly examine our thinking to see in what ways, if any, we may have adopted the unbiblical thinking of our culture. I could say that almost every time, but especially in connection with a sermon or message like this, I want to say it again. You need to think carefully, critically. You need to take time to examine how you think. Is this feeling that I have about this situation, is it actually in line with the way I should be feeling according to the Bible? Is the way I think about this situation, what's going on, these circumstances, or how I even think about Christmas, is it actually in line with the Bible or is it just, have I adopted some unbiblical values of my culture? And it's deceptive, it It's tricky, it's subtle, very subtle sometimes. Even the issue of peace, right? Just all around you, peace, 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 and all you hear, and then you even hear Christians maybe saying, or identifying as Christians, saying the importance of peace and so on and so forth. And yet, the Bible says, if I'm going to follow my Lord, I can expect actually just the opposite. Doesn't mean it's always gonna happen, and I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking for division. If you go looking for it, there's something wrong with you. But it will come and find you if you're a follower of Christ. And even in that most sacred of places, the family. You need to think. I process, I'm always processing. It drives my wife crazy, but I'm always processing. If I'm watching a movie, if I'm listening to a song, if I'm seeing a Christmas commercial, I'm processing. Is that biblical? And then I go through the process, not every time, but of reaffirming what is. Because it it messes with you. And before you know it, you'll be thinking and acting unbiblically. And that's not good for you, nor does it bring glory or honor to our Lord, which should be your greatest concern. Second, when it comes to Christmas, there is a peace we can and should certainly be talking about. Okay? Okay? You know, there's no peace. No, Christian, no, there is peace. If you understand it rightly, we should be talking about that when in fact, we could use these cards as springboards right into the gospel. What do you think that means, Bob? Peace on earth. And Bob will probably 
give you some definition of peace among men, right? Which opens the door for you to talk to him about what you know to be true according to the word of God. What about peace between you and, and God, Bob? So we, we should be emphasizing that. We should be celebrating that. We should be rejoicing in that. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Three, I mentioned this earlier. We need to make sure we have biblical expectations about our temporary life on this earth as followers of Christ so that, in part, we are not discouraged or alarmed by the very real pains that Christ says will or may come to us in this life as a result of our saving relationship with him. Temporary pain. Don't, get, don't be shocked. Don't think something's, you don't need to think something's wrong. You've messed up somehow. If the division exists because you've been faithfully following Christ, and because of your loyalty to him, right? It's always good to ask, why is there division in our home? Make sure it is for that reason and not some other reason because of your own sin, your own harshness maybe, your own, your own bad ways with your family. And, and then the, the word of God tells you how to address that, which also is a springboard for the gospel, to, to seek reconciliation with that other person and to ask for forgiveness or to to speak to them about how that offense has occurred or so on and so forth, but you understand what I'm saying. You could be a loyal, it's like, and again, it's all the garbage, guys. It's all the garbage. It's, it's not just Joel Olstein. There's a hundred Joel Olsteins. Unfortunately, Lord, come back and put it all away, please, I pray. They're all saying the same stupid thing, wrong thing. And you, you may say, I don't believe that, but you, you hear it, you hear it, it can wear at you, and you, then you start to think and have expectations that are not proper for your temporary life here on earth. And it messes with you. Yeah, guess what? This life's difficult as a follower of Christ. More difficult. It certainly can be. Doesn't mean there's not great joys, and all of that there is. But I see Christians get so inside their head, and, well, hey, you remember what the Lord said? The road to glory is a road of suffering just like our Lord's. Christian, why do you think things will go easy for you or there won't be problems or challenges as a Christian living the Christian life? There will be. Fourth, we need to think biblically about our family relationships, about our family. They are important. It's not my opinion. The family is the Lord's doing. And the Lord is clear that the family is really important. And he gives lots of instruction about the love we are to show to one another and, and the care we're to give. But our relationship with Christ must be supreme in importance. It must be. Christ demands it. Christ deserves it. He's worthy of it. And it should be that relationship, the one that we have with Christ, if we do, that comes before all other relationships, beloved. All other relationships. And that guides all that we do in our other relationships. And I think 
it is fair to say that having enemies in your family is far less devastating than having God as your enemy. It doesn't make it any less painful. But know this, the pain is temporary. And we can rejoice and have joy because we do, if we are a follower of Christ, have peace with God. And then we can, regardless of where our family's at or how messed up it is or how they're hating on us, we can, sell, we can truly celebrate. Even if we don't get the present we want. Even if the presents we give are, eh, you know, when they're received, they're like, eh, it's okay. Because we actually have peace with God. We actually understand what the Christmas events are about. Father in heaven, I, I pray your uh, blessing on us. I pray you would work through this, this little message and continue to work in our hearts and minds, Father. And I pray for evangelistic opportunities. I pray that you might use some of the things said today to, to cause our people, to cause us to, to find opportunities to, to speak to people. They're so confused. And, and all they really know is the, the, our culture's understanding of Christmas. And, and even though they put Jesus in it, they completely miss it. Help us to give them the right story to tell them the true events to explain to them what really happened give us that opportunity and we pray father you might use that opportunity to to bring people to a saving knowledge of jesus christ thank you for our savior father thank you and thank you that you have promised us that any pains troubles and trials that our christianity brings us in this life well they're temporary. And when we step into the next, and we, according to your timetable, enter into the age to come, we will never cry again. There'll be no more pain. There won't be any more broken relationships. And we will forever have fellowship with you and our new family. In Jesus' name, amen.